afraid of? Really, just take a moment to think, what are you afraid of? Or I could say it this way, what do you fear? What causes fear to rise up inside of you? What do you fear? It's an important question. It's one we shouldn't take lightly. It's um, worth answering because it will help us grow in our understanding of God and develop confidence in God. And this is Faith Is, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so we want, want to talk about this idea of fear because so many people these days are afraid. They're afraid of one thing or another. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. <clears throat> they're afraid of things that may never come to pass. But we see people being crippled by fear. The most obvious fear in recent months has been the fear of the virus. Like, what in the world is happening to us? But that's not the only thing people are afraid of. So that's why I'm asking you, what do you fear? Or what are you afraid of? Well, welcome to Faith Is. This is a podcast where we understand faith as absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It's where we help each other develop that confidence. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I want to walk us through some more thoughts about fear this week and about how we can overcome it. As a pastor, I see that in people all the time. I'm not sure they would even recognize it in themselves, but I see it more often than I would like to. And as a pastor, I want to address that. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and we aren't immune from the things like fear that seem to affect everybody, but we don't want to be the kind of people that just settle in and accept it as a fact of life. We want to be the kind of people, and I'm sure you do too, we want to be the kind of people that overcome fear and have a proper understanding of the role of fear in our lives and understand that if we have properly placed fear, then we won't be afraid. Now, if that sounds kind of goofy, hang on, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to explore that together. Last week, we talked about fear, and I suggested to all of us that there's a fascinating book that just came out, written by a man named Michael Horton. The title of the book is Recovering Our Sanity, How the Fear of God Conquers the Fears That Divide Us. And I've been reading that book, and we've been reading that book here in our church, a few of us, and we've been trying to process the, the information in that. And I think it's helpful for all of us to, to give some, some steady and, and uh, deliberate and focused attention on this idea of fear, because God does not want us to be people who live in fear. Yes, we understand, and we talked about this a little bit last week, there's some such thing as flight or or fight. That's a fear response when we're threatened. That's just kind of how we're created. Nobody's suggesting you not run when you need to get out of the way of something or protect yourself when there's something that's attacking you. That's the fight or flight idea. But the idea that we should live in a state of chronic fear or anxiety or worry, that is not something that the Bible says is a good idea or that's good for us. So we need to to face up to that, and that's what we're doing these days, trying to face up to that so that we can live as people who have confidence in God, because our fear is diminished and our fear is properly placed. Now, this book by Michael Horton has some fascinating ideas, and we're going to look specifically at 
at chapter two today, and his thesis is that the fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. And that's a pretty bold statement, but that's what he says, and, and he talks about various aspects of fear through the book. And, and so far, and we haven't gotten far in that, that idea, so far it stands up to scrutiny. The fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. So let's start with a couple of thoughts, and by way of review, maybe to get us back on the, on the idea of how to handle our fears, an idea from the first chapter, and, and I guess really more specifically from the foreword that was written by Russell Moore. But I want you to consider a couple of verses of scripture, and then a statement that Russell Moore makes that helps us begin to think about fear in a, in a proper way, in a better way, in the right way, so that we can overcome this idea of chronic fear or worry or anxiety. This is just one way to, to approach that. There are others, but I hope you'll find this helpful to think about this before God and to process this in your own mind, because we want to think rightly, believe correctly, so that we can be the people God has created us to be. So a couple of ideas. First of all, let's start with the words of Jesus from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus says, very straightforward there in that, in that verse, he says, I am the light of the world. Well, that's using something we understand to try to help us understand Jesus. And so he says, I am the light of the world. And light, we understand, deals with darkness. I use a flashlight sometimes. I turn the lights on when it gets dark. You probably do too. And so we understand the idea of light. And he says he's the light of the world. So he shines light into the world. Well, in John chapter 1, verse 5, we see another perspective on that that helps us understand that. And in that first chapter of John, we read this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, that's true. When my flashlight has good batteries, I can shine that flashlight in the dark, and the darkness does not swallow up the light. The light illuminates the dark. Well, that's the idea that Jesus was talking about and that John explains to us that Jesus is the light of the world, and so his light shines in the darkness around us, and the darkness does not overcome that light. And so properly understood, Jesus shows us that which is right and true and good because he shows us the light, and he overcomes the darkness. Now, Russell Moore talks about that in terms of our fears when he says this, and this comes out of the book, and it's a quote, we learn to quell our fears not by reassuring ourselves that there is nothing in the darkness, but by coming to the light that shines in the darkness and has overcome it. So he takes that idea of a light shining in darknesses, and he changes it just a little bit. When I use my flashlight, it illuminates either the room I'm in or where I'm walking outside. And so I know that I don't have anything to be afraid of. There's nothing there that's going to trip me up. I'm not going to fall over something that's hidden by the darkness. The darkness reveals that. And the darkness is not uh, at all close to overcoming that flashlight. Well, Russell Moore says that very artfully in his quote. Listen to it again. We learn to quell our fears not by reassuring ourselves that there is nothing in the darkness, but by coming to the light that shines in the darkness and has overcome it. 
See, my flashlight helps me have confidence because it shows me that there's nothing in the way that I'm going to trip over. All right. But Russell Moore says when we follow Jesus, it's even better than that. Because not only do we have the light to show us the way, but Jesus, the light, has overcome the darkness completely. And so we don't need to be afraid. We can trust in him to lead us forward. And we can trust that he knows the way and shows the way and tells us the way and everything we need to know so that we can walk in the light, as another verse in the Bible says, as he is in the light. So that's kind of what we're wrestling with here. That's kind of how we're trying to think about things. What is it? How is it that we can learn to walk as Christians, as people with confidence in God, in a way that keeps us from succumbing to the fears around us, that keeps us from being afraid? If you watch the news, you're going to have all kinds of opportunity to be afraid. It might help. I recommend it. Just turn it off. I believe if you have been watching a steady diet of the 24-7 news cycle, that when you turn it off, you'll probably have some moments of nervousness like, what's going on? I'm afraid I'm not going to know what's going on in the world, and so a lot of that stuff will happen. Well, don't worry about that. It's going to happen whether you're watching it, whether I'm watching it. Just turn it off and allow the peace of Christ to settle you down, and that'll help deal with the fear because we just don't need a steady diet of things that make us afraid. If you want to turn it on for a brief period of time to catch up, if that makes you feel like you know what's going on, and by the way, depending upon the source, it won't help you know what's going on because it might be something that's deceiving you. That happens too often. Be alert to that. That's a different subject. But when it deceives you and makes you afraid, that's even a double whammy. So just knock it off, turn that stuff off. Forget about that. Listen to reliable places. Pay attention to reliable reports. Don't get shipwrecked by all the stuff that's fear-mongering and designed to make you afraid. Sometimes it really is. So let's turn our attention now to chapter two of this book, Recovering Our Sanity. And um, he gives us some very insightful statements throughout this chapter. I thought this was a very strong chapter that helps us in, in so many ways. And, and one of the statements he makes is this sentence, this quote, the only way to conquer the wrong kinds of fear is to embrace the right kind, end of quote. Now, that's very, very good, because what he's saying is there is a fear that is the right kind of fear, and that fear he would talk about is the fear of God. As, as you know from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the idea here is that, that the right kind of fear, fear of the Lord, will deliver us from the wrong kinds of fear. And the fear of God, as Michael Horton goes on to explain, leads us to trust. And when we trust God, then we discover the fruit of the Spirit. And that in our life produces a harvest of blessings for ourselves, for other people. And, and you think about that. Isn't that really what we're looking for? The fear of God leads us to trust God, absolute confidence in God. And then that results in that we can live a life that's characterized by the, the hope and the joy and the peace and the other fruit of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. And that leads to blessings for ourselves and for others. And wouldn't you rather have blessings than fear? 
Well, that's an obvious question. Of course you would. So the fear of God is paramount. And then he says in this same chapter, in really the same paragraph, that fear is really worship. Because he says, quote, we fear what we believe is ultimate, what we think has the last word over our lives. I think about that. We fear what is ultimate, what has the last word. If you're living in fear of the virus, then what you're saying is that you believe the virus has the last word in your life. And you're living in fear of that because you believe that's ultimate. I'm going to suggest, Michael Horton suggests, I'm going to urge you to fear God and not the virus. Might you need to be concerned about not catching it? Of course. I don't want anybody to catch anything. Might there be some reasonable cautions? Of course. Nobody is suggesting otherwise. But to live in fear is not what God has called us to. And when we fear the virus more than we fear God, we've got things upside down. And if we have the right fear of God, we won't be afraid of something like the virus. See, we fear things that are gods, as Michael Horton explains, that are not God. And the virus is a type of God to many people because they're living in fear of it, bowing down to it, ordering their lives around it. And the virus is not God. God is God, always has been, always will be, and we need to fear him. And see, we need to understand the connection between that and worship, as Horton goes on to explain. In, in another very insightful sentence, he says this, quote, we worship what we cannot live without end of quote. So when we bow down to the virus and fear it as though it will destroy us, and we're so afraid because we might die, what we're saying is that we can't imagine not being alive here and now. And we have failed to realize that, that with God, death is not a problem, and we don't need to be afraid of it. We need to trust him because he's overcome all of that stuff. So you begin to get the idea of what he's talking about here when he, when he urges us to fear God and to not fear other things because we, we, we worship what we fear when we consider it to be ultimate in our lives. And we need to put it in its right place. And the fear of God needs to be in, in the proper place so that everything else will fall far below that. So let's continue this. And, and he, he goes ahead now a few pages later. And he, he says something that I thought was very interesting. It's been a long time ago that John Lennon wrote a song and popularized it that by the title of Imagine. And you may be familiar with that. You may not be. But essentially, what he is saying in that song is, imagine there's no God. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Imagine there's only sky. Well, in that song, Lennon paints a an idealistic utopian type vision of things that certainly leaves God out of, of everything. And Michael Horton suggests that that's often what we do now. We've decided to leave God out of things. And he puts it this way, as only he could, quote, human beings were the only creatures who decided one day not to bear witness instead imagining that they were autonomous, end of quote. So what he's saying is that human beings decided one day that they would not bear witness to the reality of God. They would imagine that they somehow could live without God. 
and they were equal to God, or all kinds of formulas related to that. And that's really what Adam and Eve did in the garden, wasn't it? When they were tempted, the, the serpent said to them, you'll be like God, and they fell for it, and all kinds of things have fallen apart since then. So how can I get that right? How can I get that right in my mind and my heart? Well, Michael Horton says that, that there are two questions and that we used to ask one, but now we ask the other. And again, he's very insightful. And as a pastor, I've seen this over and over. Years ago, people used to ask, quote, how can I be right before a holy God? End of quote. The concern was, getting right with God so they would be right when they stood before God. How do I get right with God? Now, too many people ask, quote, how can I have my best life now? End of quote. Instead of being concerned about getting right with God and staying right with God, people want to know, how can I live the way I want to live? How can I have the life that I want to have now? How can I have the best life that I've ever imagined? And isn't that really upside down and backwards? And that's part of what Michael Horton gets at. Part of what I'm trying to help us understand is that, that when we're right before God and have the right kind of fear of God, then we'll be right. But if we're pursuing our own desires to have the best life now, then we risk missing the whole importance, the whole value, the whole essential, the whole heart of Christian faith, because we've refused or at least failed to get right with God. He goes on to summarize these thoughts with this sentence, quote, when our greatest fear is subjective shame rather than objective guilt before God, or threats to a long life instead of everlasting life, we live in a flat world. And what he's saying is the life has gone out of our world when we have things upside down and inside out. When we have forgotten that we, we must deal with our guilt before God, then we're living a life of shallowness and, as he says, flatness. When we are afraid of dying, when we're afraid we won't have a long life, then we understand that we're in trouble because now what do we do? Well, we need to be more concerned with everlasting life than some other kind of life, don't you think? We need to have the right kind of concern and the right kind of emphasis in our lives so that we get it right and not risk getting it wrong. And he, he uses a couple of interesting examples from history when he talks about our attitude, and he, he uses the church, for example, and I, I found them very instructive. I'm not as good a church historian as he is, but, but think about this. Quite a contrast, really. He writes in this chapter, quote, in 1348 to 1350, when the Black Death struck, the Church of England called for a period of prayer and fasting, end of quote. Now think about that. The Black Death, there was a real threat of dying, a real serious situation, and what did the church do? The church said, we need to pray and fast because we're in trouble. We need to depend upon God and call on God to help us. Now, fast forward a few years, and he says, quote, however, in response to the HIV AIDS crisis in the 1980s, 
it called for more public funding for medical research, end of quote. So he says the Church of England years ago, when facing a real serious health crisis, they called the people to prayer and fasting. And in the 80s, when facing a real health crisis, they called for more funding for medical research. Now he goes on to say, well, it's not that we can't have good public policy, and it's not that we can't call for investigating ways to help people. That's not the point. But the point is, look at the church's response. Think about the church's response. Shouldn't the church be more concerned about the things of the Spirit and of turning to God when we need help instead of just calling for other kinds of solutions to things? Shouldn't we depending, be depending upon God and trusting God in those kinds of situations? And I thought to myself, that's exactly right. We have, we have gotten it wrong. We have really risked some serious problems. And I think it's time for us, the people of God, to get back to what God has called us to. I'm certainly not against trying to make things better in terms of public policy. And I, in fact, I support that. You probably do. We need the right kind of things to happen. But the church should not be distracted by that. We can participate in that, and we should. But we should first of all remind people that our, our essence is to trust God. And when we need help, we need to turn to God in prayer and fasting and ask him to help us and depend upon him and trust him and call on him for that help. We need to, we need to get our priorities straight, I guess he would say. And we do. And we can and we will, don't you think? It makes a whole lot of difference, and we need to make sure we do that. Well, we've been talking about the fear of God, and, and I suggested last week from the book and from most of our understanding that oftentimes we need to think of fear as, as an awe or respect, and, and I think that's true. I think we have difficulties sometimes searching for words. We're going to talk some more about that idea of fear today in a little bit, but Michael Horton suggests in this chapter that there is a very short definition of the fear of God. In fact, he suggests one word for the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. And he says that one word is sanity. Sanity. The fear of God is sanity. Well, that's consistent with his title when he says recovering our sanity. But he goes on to explain that a little bit. And I thought this was kind of interesting that, that really when we, when we lose our minds by being afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of, instead of having the fear of God, then we are not sane. And he's saying we can settle down and have the right kind of thinking and the right kind of living when we recognize that the fear of God is sanity. And the right understanding of the fear of God leads us to a settled sense in our souls instead of a anxious, aggravated, worried sense of, oh dear, what might happen? Because when we fear God, we know where we stand with God. And and of course, one of the things that, that that leads us to is a recognition that we need to be right with God. And we talked about that a little bit just a moment ago, but we shouldn't lose track of that idea. The fear of God should make us keenly aware that we need to be right with God. And we can understand that we'll stand before God. And if we're right with God, then we have confidence in him and we don't have to be fearful, anxious, worried, but we are afraid because God is the ultimate judge. And so we're, we're driven to him to cast out that fear because we trust him and he forgives us. And 
our sanity is restored. Now, he goes on to say that um, people really know God already. I find it very interesting. He talks about the idea of apologetics and that he teaches apologetics. And he says, he tells his classes that everyone already knows God without any arguments. And that sounds a little, little interesting because we usually think that sometimes people don't know God. That's why they behave the way they do. But he refers to the scriptures and he talks about Romans chapter one. And it says that, that we human beings, we suppress the truth. How do we suppress the truth? By our unrighteousness. That's from Romans chapter one, verse 18. He says, we, we know God, but we suppress understanding God because we do the wrong things. And so that leads us in the wrong direction. He says, we don't have a problem of, of revelation. It's obvious God has made himself known and, and we can know that God exists. We, we have enough information. It's not that we don't have the information and God isn't hiding from us. Uh, and in fact, he again, cites the scriptures that say his referring to God's invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, referring to people, are without excuse. And that's from the first chapter of Romans 2, verse 20. So essentially what he's saying is that God has done everything necessary to reveal himself. It's just we don't really want to hear it. We really don't want to face up to it. And so we run from it. And that causes us all kinds of problems because then we start being afraid of all kinds of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. And we need to trust God and face up to that and deal with our behavior so that we don't get caught in that pattern of suppressing the truth by our unrighteousness. We need to avoid, as Horton would say, rationalizing in order to defend ourselves against God. See, God knows who we are. He knows all about us. And we need to just face up to that and have the right fear of God so that we settle things with God and we do what God says. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't start with, with not understanding. Uh, John Calvin said that we do know the truth, but we quote, this is John Calvin's quote, we deliberately befuddle ourselves, end of quote. I thought that was a very creative way of saying that. It's not that we don't know, it's that we try to find ways to not know. We confuse ourselves and we need to get over that so that we can actually trust God and not live in confusion or craziness. Or as Horton says, we can get back to sanity because we have the right kind of fear of God. You see, the fear of God, as Horton goes on to explain, is that we live in reality. We recognize that God is real and we live before him and that's reality. He goes on to say this, and I quote, we did not make ourselves, so it is insane to live as though we could be whatever and whomever we choose. And that's, a, that's another one of those very insightful, I said this chapter is really good. That's another one of those very insightful statements. You know, we didn't make ourselves. It's no great revolution, revolution revelation to say to ourselves that, that God is God and I am not. And we need to remind ourselves because we, we fall into the trap of thinking we can determine which way we should go and what we should do. And Horton says, no, the fear of God is recognizing reality, that God is God and I'm not. And it helps us accept the truth instead of running from it. How many times do we want to run 
from the, what we know is true. We want to run from it. We want to hide it. We want to distort it. We want to rationalize it away. We want to bury it so we don't have to think about it or deal with it. But he says, no, the right fear of God is living in reality and knowing that God is God. And we have to deal with that. And we have responsibilities before God, and we need to get right with God and stay right with God. And that's how we live in, as he would say, sanity. And that's how we put all of our fears aside because we have rightly related to the God we should fear. Instead, and he says this in so very well, uh, again, I quote, here's what people say. Michael Horton quotes them. No one's going to tell me what I can do with my body or with my money, what to believe or how I should live. It's my car and I'm in the driver's seat. We want to be God, but we are not good at it. Soon we find that it is just too much. Overwhelmed, we become crushed by the burden of pretending that we could take God's place. It is one thing to accept the grain of sanity intellectually, another to live with it daily. Well, that's quite a statement. That's the end of that quote. And really what he's saying is, is echoing the, the tenor of our times. And we're going to pick up with that thought when we come back in a minute, because I've said it, you've probably said it, you've probably heard it said that people these days don't want anyone telling them what to do, not even God. And to a great extent, that's true. Even too many people who call themselves followers of Jesus don't want anybody telling them what they should do with their money. They don't want God telling them that they should put him first in their finances. They don't want God telling them what they should believe. They want to take the Bible and then manufacture whatever belief they want to have. They don't want anybody telling them how to live, including God, because they know best. Well, we're going to pick up there and we're going to continue to cultivate this idea of the fear of God. So I hope you'll take a break. Hang with us. We'll be back and learn some more. See you then. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. 
Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Welcome back. We're continuing our look at the fear of God. We live in an age when people are afraid of so many things. Maybe it's always been true that people have dealt with a lot of fears. I don't know that for sure, but I do know in these days, people have been mightily afraid for a lot of reasons and about a lot of things chiefly related to a virus. But it's led people to be afraid of each other, afraid of going out of the house, afraid of all kinds of things. And God is trying to help us not be afraid. And Michael Horton in his book, Recovering Our Sanity, helps us understand that if we have the right fear of God, then our other fears find their proper place and we don't need to be afraid. When we have the right fear of God, we understand that we can trust God. We understand that God can and will forgive us. And we understand that life will be right when we live right before God. The problem is, and this is where we left off a moment ago, is that we don't want anybody telling us what to do. We just don't. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We know better. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. We don't want anybody telling us how we have to manage our money. We don't want anybody telling us what we must believe. We don't want anyone telling us how to live. It's up to me, and I can work that out for myself. And I've seen that personally as a pastor over a number of years in my lifetime, in my ministry. I've noticed how we have moved away from a sense that there are certain things that we all should and shouldn't do to a sense that nobody should tell me how to live. I'll make up my own mind. And some of what we've moved away from has been good because there was a legalistic sense in some churches, and I experienced that myself. You might have too. That's not helpful, but we haven't replaced it with conviction. We've replaced it with license to do as we please and a resistance to anyone, even God, correcting us. And so Michael Horton, he doesn't talk about all of those things, but he is essentially bringing us back to this idea that God is God and we're not, and we're not good at trying to be God and we need to trust God and cooperate with him and do what he calls us to do. And we'll recover our sanity because remember he said, and we talked about it moments ago, that the fear of God is sanity. Well, now he picks up a different theme and it's along the same line, but he also says, in this chapter, that wisdom is sanity. Well, that's that's a good way of looking at it, too. I might say the practice of wisdom is one thing to make a, a wise discernment or a wise judgment. It's another thing to practice wisdom and to live it out. But he says quite clearly along those same ideas, quote, knowing, experiencing, worshiping, and trusting in God is the beginning of recovering our sanity, end of quote. And he's right. That's what he's talking about when he challenges us to have the right fear of God, to know God, to experience God, to worship God, to trust God. That's how we live sane lives in a world that's losing its mind. 
And he refers again to Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. We've talked about that. You've heard about it many times. Maybe you could quote it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The idea is we need to, we need to know God. We need to fear God. And we need to, to recapture that sense of, of God is God and we're not. And the sense that we need to be right with God. Now, here's where he begins to talk about that question that I asked at the beginning of the program, what are you afraid of or what do you fear? And he says this, quote, locating the right object of our fear is priority number one. Tell me what you fear the most, and it's fairly easy to discern what idolatry you are prone to, end of quote. Now, I'd never thought about fear revealing our idols, but I'm think he's on to something here. And I would encourage you to think about that. Let's just use the virus as an example. And I know we're all tired of talking about it, but, but we really need to, to get through this and, and think about our responses to it so that we can not fall into this ditch again. But if you have been living your life because of the virus in fear of getting sick or dying, and that has been more on your mind, that has been a driving fear of your life more than the fear of God, then you have made an idol out of not being sick and not dying. Now, the Bible teaches us that there are more important things than worrying about sickness and death. And the Bible says, and I believe it's the Apostle Paul says, to die is gain. Well, when we're afraid of getting sick and dying, instead of looking at it as, as gain, to be with the Lord is so much better, then we've got things all scrambled. And to use Horton's idea, we're, we've lost our minds. We don't have sanity. And so what are you afraid of? Are you afraid for your children? I, I tell you, I've, I've seen some people that I think their, their dominant fear in their life is they're afraid their kids will reject them. And, and the situations I'm thinking about are, are grown adults who have grown children and these adults live in fear that their children, their grown-up children, will reject them. And, and I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's got to be a serious concern. Now, I don't want your children or mine to reject us. That's not the point. Don't, don't go there. But think about it clearly. The dominant idea of my life cannot be lived out in fear that my children will reject me. Otherwise, I pander to their every wish and whim and, and spend all of my time trying to please them. And i believe I read it correctly in the Bible that it's more important to please God. So what is it that, what is it that you fear? You know, maybe something we haven't even talked about. Maybe you fear poverty. Well, I don't want to live in poverty. I don't want you to live in poverty, but, but there are worse things than living in poverty. What do you fear? Maybe you fear that your car will break down and you'll have an expensive car repair. Been there, done that. I don't want it to happen again. You don't either. But I can't live in fear of that because I've had expensive car repairs and, and I've recovered from them. I didn't prefer to spend my money that way, but that's what happened and it didn't wreck my life. So that fear should not dominate me. So what fear, you could say, runs your life, then you find out what you're worshiping, what idol you're prone to follow. And Horton would again remind us that, that wisdom is sanity, the fear of God 
is sanity. And we should be afraid of God, not of all these other things. It's a common thing. I mean, it's been this way for years. You read the Bible, you understand all of that. And um, it, it trips people up and it has tripped people up for a long time. I'm not suggesting we're any different than it's been before. But I am suggesting that when we begin to realize what's going on, we need to correct it. And we need to affirm that, that we fear God far more than we fear any of these other things. And, and you know, some people live, and, and I understand this, I live in hurricane country. Some people live in fear of a hurricane. Well, I get that. They're no fun. I've lived through a couple of them. I don't like it. Don't want to do it again. I realize that some people are so impacted by, by a hurricane. I learned this not long after moving to Florida, that sometimes people who have a devastating incident with a hurricane, they move out of hurricane country, so they never have to go through that again. Well, that shows you that they're really afraid of that hurricane. Well, I'm not saying they made the wrong decision. I wouldn't want to have to go through it again if I had lost the, my property the way some of them did. I understand the hardship of that. But I also don't want to live in fear of something like that, that I can't control. I want to live in fear of, of a God who I trust and have a right relationship with him instead of being concerned about all of that. That's what I mean by identifying what our fears are and not falling into idolatry. We need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap. And if you find yourself afraid of those kinds of things too much, then it's time to make a U-turn. It's time to change. It's time to repent. That's what he, repentance is. It's making a U-turn in life. When I moved to Florida here in Cape Coral, I've said it many times, I had never made so many U-turns in all of my life as I found myself making here. It seems like the roads are designed for U-turns. Well, it's fine. I got used to that. I don't think about it anymore much. But that's really what we're talking about when we talk about the fear of God. We need to change, and we need to have the right fear of God instead of being afraid of all these other things. And if you're struggling with that, then you need to cultivate that fear of God, and you need to recover your sanity. So you can be the person God created you to be with a right relationship with him, confident in him, trusting him, and not afraid of all of these crazy things that go on in our lives. Because we're not going to escape those crazy things, but we can trust God through them. And he has not failed us yet. He won't leave us or forsake us. And we need to, to build on that and make a U-turn in our thinking and in our behavior so that we get it right. So we understand God correctly. And, and he goes on to say a little later in the chapter, a key to what it means to fear God. So let me just read what he says here. Quote, here's the key. The fear of God is not a means to an end, but the end itself. We don't use the fear of God as a slogan for national revival, personal well-being, even spirituality, moral crusades, or social justice. We don't use God to make a point. God is the point. So that's the idea, that we are to, to focus on God, and we are to be rightly related to God with the right fear of God, so that we have sane understanding of life now and life then. We have a sane understanding of life and death. We have a sane understanding of everything because we fear God. We have the right understanding of, the, of that. He goes on to say, and I found this very helpful when he talks about that the fear of God is the point. Here's another 
idea related to that quote. But being afraid of hell is not the same as being afraid of God. Hell is God's face set against us, giving us what we deserve, apart from a mediator. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because it gives us the sanity to see the reality of our condition and our need for Christ. And that's the point. See, we shouldn't be afraid of hell, we should be afraid of God. And when we're afraid of God, then we realize we need God, and we are lost and in deep trouble without a Savior, and that's why he sent Jesus. That's the point. And so we need to cultivate that thinking and correct our thinking and make U-turns in our thinking and our behavior so that we get that right. You see, and again, Michael Horton makes this point. He, I think he's analyzed things very well and come up with very insightful things in this chapter. He simply says, we do not take God seriously. And my goodness, how many times I've seen that. And I've often said, it's as though people these days are, are saying to themselves and to each other, well, God will understand. God will understand. And I'm thinking, hmm, where in the Bible does it say that God will understand? talks about us understanding better. It talks about us understanding God and our relationship to God, but it doesn't talk about how God will understand, or really, I think what people are, are saying, and I don't think they say it in these words, but they'll say, well, God will give me a pass on that one because he knows what I really meant. Uh, really? Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think he knows what you really mean by what you say and do, and he wants us to take him seriously so that we say and do the right thing, so that we are rightly related to God. Instead, we worry about all of these things, and that we're going to somehow miss out on life and on a satisfying life. And we've lost the sense, as Horton reminds us, that living life as God tells us to live it, following God's moral law, is satisfying. It's the right kind of life. It's the fulfilling kind of life. It gives meaning and purpose to life. It's how God made us to live. See, God made us for himself, and we're not going to be truly the people we were meant to be if we're just focused on our own happiness. You see, we're going to be the people we were meant to be when we understand that fearing God is healthy living. It brings us back to sanity, as Horton has said. And, and we fear God, not because he promises to make us happy. Happiness is, a, is really a, a, a weak aspiration. Don't aspire to be happy. Aspire to be faithful. Aspire to fear God, but forget about happiness. We need to trust God for who he is. And then he makes a really interesting statement, and I found this very, very insightful. In two words, Horton says, sanity sanitizes. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting way. You know, we live in a world that, that needs help and needs cleansing, and, and we realize our lives, because we've walked away from God, need cleansing. And then he comes along and says, sanity sanitizes. Well, he said earlier, sanity is the fear of God, or he said it this way, the fear of God is sanity. So if we're living in the fear of God, then Living in the fear of God leads us to do the right things instead of the wrong things, 
And so when we do the right things, we're cleaning up our act. And so we're sanitizing our lives by allowing God's guidance to lead us to do the right things. And we're putting aside the things that pollute our lives so that we can live before him in sanity and cleanliness. I thought that was a really good connection on that. So if you're struggling with, well, uh, how am I ever going to deal with all these things in my life? Well, realize sanity leads you to doing the right thing because you're living in the fear of God. And when we're living in the fear of God, we do the right things. And we need to realize that how we live is really how we live before and how we behave is really either for or against God. Now, you may remember the story, and Horton brings this up here, and it's really a helpful insight. You may remember the story of King David, who sinned terribly when he took his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, and he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband. He sinned against whether other family members she had that we don't know about. He, he sinned terribly against those people. But, but David said when he confessed his sin in Psalm 51, David said to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David is recognizing what we need to recognize if we're going to restore our sanity and if we're going to have the right fear of God. He's recognizing that when we do the wrong things, it is a sin against God. Yes, you might steal from your neighbor, and please don't. And that would be a sin against your neighbor. But really, it's a sin against God. And that's what David is saying. And see, when we have the right fear of God, then we recognize that those behaviors like theft are sins against God. And so we need to get our minds in a whole different place. And he suggests that the fear of God moves us in a completely different way of thinking. And he says, first of all, it, it fills us with dread and, and because we don't want to do the wrong thing. Instead of conjoling ourselves that we need to do better because we, we just didn't do as well as we should, it, it reminds us that there, it's a lot more serious than just trying to do better. It's a godly fear that drives us to Jesus so that we can find the grace for forgiveness and the grace for doing it right now. We don't continue to sin and welcome the grace of God as its forgiveness. No, we get it right. We live in the fear of God and of his glory because we know that we have to be right with him. There is no other choice. And so he says the antidote, antidote to the fear of, of, the, of the wrong God is having a right understanding of God. And when God shows us what we need to do, we need to do it. Years ago, I had a friend. I worked with him in ministry, and I appreciated what he had to say very much. And some years before that, he had spent some time traveling around the country, conducting services, speaking at churches. And sometimes when he would encounter people at airports and on his travels, they would strike up a conversation and people would say to him, well, what is it that you do for a living? That's a common get acquainted question. We all understand that. And my friend used to say to them that he traveled around the country helping people with their God complex. And I thought that was a very clever and insightful way of, of getting a conversation going. He was trying to keep 
from saying, well, I'm a preacher, because he thought that might cause them to just shut off the conversation and not pay attention. And he wanted to help them have the right understanding of God. What we're talking about here, the right fear of God. And, and Horton wants us to do that. That's what the point of this chapter has been, to try to help us think about God correctly. And he makes some other statements. Let me give you another one of Horton's statements. He says, quote, the fear of God is not primarily a fear of something, for instance, judgment, but of someone. It is God himself who provokes our phobia. He is different from us, not only because we are mere creatures, but because we are sinful. So see, that's a different way of thinking about God. That's getting our in my friend's terms, God complex straight. And so God wants us to, to understand that it's not about fearing judgments, it's about fearing him. And we want to live in right relationship with him because we want to know him and we want him to make our lives new. We don't want to be afraid. We want to be able to have confidence in him. And so we don't fear judgment. We fear him, which causes us to live rightly with him. And it's also interesting that Horton points out that we've kind of lost this idea, but in Scripture, so many places when God revealed himself to people, one of the real evidences that it was God is that people were afraid, and God had to say to them, do not be afraid, or some similar statement, because they recognized that this was, this was God, and that something was going on there, and it caused them to hide from God, to be afraid. And, and so we need to recapture that sense of God, not because we live in dread or, and fear like that, but because we sense the rightness of fearing God rightly. I was real struck by a story that, that Horton mentions, and it's a story that I'm familiar with and you're familiar with, and it's the story of where Jesus was with his disciples in a boat, and there was a big storm arose, and they were terrified. They could see the danger around them, and they, they said to Jesus that, help, they needed to be saved. And, and Jesus gets up, and he says, why are you afraid? <laughs> oh, you have little faith. And, and when we read that story, we say, well, we're afraid because of the storm. And well, if you were familiar with the story, you know that Jesus just calmed the storm down, and all of a sudden, the water were quiet, and they were just fine. And, and they couldn't imagine what was going on with Jesus doing that. And, and in Mark's account of that story, it talks about how the disciples were suddenly afraid of Jesus. And, and Horton says that the, the best understanding of that verse when it talks about the disciples' fear is that they feared with great fear. And I thought that was really insightful because they were suddenly more afraid of Jesus than of the storm. And isn't that really, in many respects, what Michael Horton is trying to get us to grasp here, that we need to be more afraid of God than of the circumstances around us? And isn't it true that too many times we get caught up in the circumstances and we think that they are a greater threat than the God who created heaven and earth and the God who made us? Shouldn't we be more rightly afraid of him than of all these crazy things around us? Another story that also relates a little bit to water that Jesus was teaching the people, and then he had Simon Peter and the other guys take him out and said, put your nets down to fish. And, and um, they had fished all night and not caught anything, but they put the nets down and mercy, more fish than they ever could have imagined. 
They managed the situation with enormous effort. And then Peter says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And I like the way the message says that. It, it admonishes Jesus to go away. And Peter says, I can't stand all this holiness. And you see, he's got his God complex straightened out now. He's beginning to understand, and we are too, that, that there is this awe and respect of God, but there needs to be a fear of God that is greater than the fear of the circumstances around us. You might get afraid when a tornado threatens. And when that happens, ask yourself, am I more afraid of God than of the tornado? Well, I want you to take shelter from the tornado, but isn't it true that when we cultivate the fear of God, we take shelter from the consequences of living apart from God and of not being rightly related to God? And shouldn't we have so much fear that it drives us to live right before God and not presumptively and not rationalize and not excuse and not say, well, God will understand. Shouldn't we have a greater fear of him than of a tornado or a hurricane or thunder and lightning, or you fill in the blank, what bothers you? My prayer for all of us is that we will have the right fear of God, that we will understand that that fear leads us to a savior who came to forgive our sins and make us right with God and keep us right with God because we live right before God. And that's my challenge to you this week. Follow in the way he leads, fear him, and trust him. We'll talk again next week.